0: Welcome to the Water People Podcast, where we talk story with some of the most adept waterfolk on the planet. I'm your host, Lauren Hill, joined by my partner, Dave Rastovich. Water People is a place to acknowledge and share the aquatic experiences that shape who we become back on land. This season is supported by Patagonia, whose purpose driven mission is to use business to save our home planet. In the spirit of reconciliation, we acknowledge the Bundjalung Nation, the traditional custodians of the land and waters where we work and play, who have cared for this sea country for tens of thousands of years. Respect and gratitude to all First Nations people, including elders past, present, and emerging. Today we're in conversation with two-time world champ Tom Carroll, known for his power both on land and in the water. Tom excelled competitively on the world championship tour for 14 years, finishing in the top five nine times, winning 26 events, and earning surfing's first million-dollar sponsorship contract. As a three-time Pipe Masters champ, Tom is often considered the performance bridge between Jerry Lopez and Kelly Slater. Today, Tom is recognized as a powerful teacher of meditation and wellness. He spoke with us candidly about his sobriety and the absurd list of injuries he has endured as an elite athlete. We find Tom so inspiring not only because of his surfing accolades, but because of his willingness to share his story and struggles so vulnerably, with a commitment to keep surfing no matter what, and aging well, inside and out. Dave has been running around like a schoolboy the last few days, knowing that you're coming, just like <laughs> spewing out factoids about different experiences that he's witnessed of yours, and <laughs> and just like gushing about his love for you, and just no, like right. vibrating with like, oh my god, I can't believe I was going, and there, there so are cool. so many people that he feels that way about. Mm. So, Davey, can you please? <laughs> Do the intro.
1: Yeah. <laughs> That's true. It's Tell very us. true. Thank Thank I think you. most Thank of my you. expressions the last few days have started with, you don't understand. You don't understand, Lauren. And she's looking at me like, oh, here we there go. Yeah. Here comes another. And
2: I'm like, oh. It's a love bubble.
1: Yeah. So, so I... I I guess for me, I'd start with being a 12-year-old on the Gold Coast and being taken to a cinema by one of my older sisters to go see on the big screen all down the line. and Yeah, and going into the theatre just raucous, filled with all of the surfers that I would see in the lineups. At Burley and the Goldie and Stratty and stuff all in this tiny little packed house just raucous you could barely hear the soundtrack because <laughs> everyone was hooting and hollering and I was just in there like wow what am I a part of here what am I uh, is this my scene is this what I'm gonna yeah. be a part of and and then the surfing the, just what burned into my brain was your surfing and Gangajang's Jang's music mm. and the big sound. I was really into music as a kid and it was just incredible. And then, you know, a few years later, I started to grow into that surfing community, partaking in contests and being in the lineup at Burley a lot. And of course, that was at the time where, you know, you're in the centre of the surfing circle mm. at the height of your powers in that particular mm. way. And so I was also then just like, wow, imagine getting to see Tommy surf in flesh one day. Everyone passes through Burley sooner or later. I bet you I'll see him one day. And, <laughs> and then I recall seeing you come through Burley and though you were very much a part of the high-performance pointy-nose thruster surfboard world, you were riding different shapes and you had different fins. And mm. I was a kid then. So when I was 14 at Burley, I was surfing those sort of surfboards, but also I was more passionately surfing Dick Van and surfboards, Dick, yeah. which were anything but pointy nose thrusters <laughs> all time. And, and loving it. But I would get ridiculed and I got strung up on the point to the pine trees <laughs> naked with my leggy my board (laughs) thrown on the shed, you know, that shed there at the point and, you know, ridiculed older boys saying, you're going to throw away your surfing life right in this stupid shit and like really hassled for it. But then I saw you and you were doing that Mm. but you were a part of that world too and I never got to speak to you or anything. I was Mm. just probably cowering in the Mm. pandanus trees (laughs) like, oh, my God, there he goes, look at that. (laughs) But it was just so inspiring for me to feel that you could dance in those worlds yeah. And at the same time, and so that was really big for me because, you know, even though I laugh about it, it was hard for me at that stage to have my true passion and interest in creativity through surfing mm be just ripped apart by Mm. everyone but still dance that line, play the game with modern shortboards and stuff. Then I heard you speak at something. It might have been the Noosa Surf Festival or somewhere and you actually used words. You weren't just grunting and like (laughs) laughing like a stoner that I, you know, that we all grew up seeing in Mm. movies or on shows like Jeff Spicoli style Mm. stuff where Mm -hmm. surfers are generally got, you know, a tiny vocabulary. (laughs) And here you were actually expressing thoughts and concepts that were coherent. And I was like, wow, that's fucking awesome Wow, as a kid. <laughs> Isn't that cool? Yeah, really, really cool. Oh, yeah. And then you also had the life-saving thread, surf life-saving mm. thread going on. I also had that as a kid. And then I remember seeing a picture of you with one uh, prime minister, Bob Hawke, and you were both laughing, looking like you're having a good laugh, walking in a shore break. I think Absolutely, it was. Black. Like, you know that. it was, yeah. And I was like, wow, and this guy gives a shit about the world he inhabits. That's what I thought as a kid, looking at that picture. I'm like, wow, he's, you're willing to participate in the turbulent world of politics. Mm. Where you're going to piss someone off if you have a perspective. Suck down the. Yeah, but you were willing to, you were willing and interested. And so all those things, Tommy, for me were just really impactful and really, I guess, comforting at a time where, you know, we're teenage boys, we're struggling to find our way. There's not really any healthy rites of passage for us to go through to become a man, you know, like.
3: Not in Australia. (laughs) Pretty
1: nasty. And so a lot of us get really lost, Mm. you know, you end up down some pretty dark back alleys. Mm. And so, yeah, I mean, I just wanted to say all of that and say thank you for just you just being you at those times, but it was something that really helped me and bolstered me at that period in time. And that's
3: why these few days Mm. I've been saying to Lauren, you don't understand this. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, It's really heartwarming, you know, really heartwarming hearing that. Mm because I don't get to hear that sort of stuff. Really? Awesome. So yeah. it's just really nice coming from you, Dave. Oh, wow. Mm, mm. Thank you. Well, that's, that's I, get, I get stuff, but that's really cool. Yeah. 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 I mean, I'm really, that's great. It's yeah. just lovely to hear that at this moment.
2: Mm. Yeah,
3: great. And there was many
1: more of those things, but I'll (laughs) leave them for the next few pages in my book.
2: Um, But
1: I'll hand over to Lauren now because we have a certain way we usually begin these conversations.
0: We always begin, Tom, by asking about a time or experience after which you were never the same. Would you be willing to share a story like that with us today?
3: Yeah. Wow there's so many. I can like, imagine. You know, definitely a big mark for me was when I got clean from using drugs to coming clean. And then because it sort of opened up a, an authentic part of me to reveal it to the world. So there's a sort of pre-Tom and post uh, at the moment, you know, so I don't know what's coming up in the next 10 minutes, but, <laughs> but yeah, <laughs> 15 minutes or whatever it is, mm. the next minute, I don't know, but it is regarding that. So there's definitely a big shift from that point. So that's a That was a big moment.
0: What led to that moment?
3: Well, a whole bunch of life, you know. Things happen in our time in our life. We don't really have any power over it. It's sort of just things happen really, really young. We all have these things happen. We like to call it trauma to some degree. It's true, it's trauma, but it's just how I kind of took it on board at the Mm -hmm. time and I didn't know have any language around it, but I lost my mum when I was seven. Mm -hmm. So when that happened and she actually gave me my first surfboard. And a couple of months later, she, was, she wasn't she was on the planet. <laughs> mm. But I was only just turned seven. So, mm. you know, you're six years old watching that happen. You don't even know what's going on. Just didn't have the hardware on board yet. And so, you know, you think about getting a surfboard from her. It's kind of like a such a powerful gift, like from my mother image mm. straight through. And I've been still riding a surfboard today. Still holds me. Mm.
0: I recently lost my dad, which is not at all the same as losing Mm. a parent when you're a child. Mm. That's just, as a parent, kind of the worst thing you can imagine Mm. is leaving your child or children behind. But um, he also afforded me some of my formative water experiences. It just made me wonder, like, is adulthood just grabbing the threads? That were laid as for us as children, you know? Like are we just grabbing on to the things that were familiar then and continuing down those pathways?
3: Yeah, and kind of doing the best we can with what's put in front of us, particularly yeah. our children. And the kind of the, the funny thing is I think there's a cosmic laugh, kind of, you're gonna have three daughters. <laughs> Figure it out. <laughs> You know, and (laughs) And so the ocean's been that for me. Like it's beyond all the stuff that I've been exposed to.
1: Was there a a mother figure that came in in human form throughout your Mm. childhood and teenage years? That yes. Fulfilled yeah. that
3: role? Really yeah. Bit. So, my grandmother, close to my grandmother, she came over from the UK because my mum was from Britain and she came over and took care of us. And, you know, she's a pretty staunch mm. lady. Uh, she'd been through a lot. She was a nurse in two world wars, you know, like wow. so she, you know, in London, in the underground, all that sort of stuff. She was, and so she came over and took care of us mm. and also my sister. We had our sister, Josephine, until, well, I was 26 and Nick was, Nick was 28. So she passed away in a car accident. So that was like instant. I'm mm. like, whoa. But she was a powerful influence
0: been thinking about your mom i watched the 60 minutes piece with you and your brother oh yeah and your brother spoke about discovering your mom's medical records and learning that Mm. she too may have struggled with addiction and i Mm. thought what a perfectly imperfect picture of what parenting is you hand over both the keys to Mm. delight in a surfboard Mm. and this underlying current of addiction and having that be a hereditary possibility
3: Mm. well yeah and, and i don't know what's in the ether around that. But definitely there's some information passed on that I can't, can't grab a hold of and go, oh yeah, I'll put my finger on that. That's for sure. But there's definitely a correlation there where both the substances were, were sort of moved towards that sort of fit the underlying pain that was underlying emotional pain was, was, was the same kind of thing was something that kinda of lifted us lifted us above the line mm. that sort of made us felt like we could cope. So there mm. was some sort of strategy in that try to mm. Yeah. Mm. But it's yeah, and that that was Nick's research, you know, pretty awesome. Yeah. Like I've got a brother like that.
0: Did that unlock something for you? Oh yeah. You spoke about Addiction being a disease of the spirit, mm. did that help unlock something for mm. your spirit to sort of mm. step above the physicality of addiction?
3: Um, well, what it does, it just sort of helps us see, you know, first of all, you know, addiction can create so much shame and guilt. So, you know, there's so much, it loads up and loads up and loads up and it loads up on a daily basis. It's not just a, it just keeps piling up. And so until you can really see it for what it is, that just keeps doing its thing and the, the psyche gets really shaken up. I talked about it being a disease of a spirit. I kind of shifted a bit now from that as the disease of the human. Spirit's always there. So I choose my words differently now uh, through experience and also you know, watching what goes on out there and, and within myself. And I think having that information mm. about our family history and also our surroundings and, and knowing that there's actually, you know, seeing examples of healing mm. was very very um, powerful in that Mm. and there's this incredible work you can do called family constellation work it's amazing work Mm. uh you need a very good facilitator but it's uh the essence of the family energy it's energy still sitting in the ether Mm. very powerful in understanding what's gone on in the past so you can actually get to see it you can actually go back to your great 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 parents grandparents and see someone in a great deal of pain or whatever's going on with them. But mm. it's pretty amazing. I did some I went through a bit of that work and gave me a lot of knowledge mm. to sort of base, you know, my kind of today's reality on. I like the, you know, the representation of love and uh, the grander representation of love uh, sort of pouring through things. And sometimes that sort of, we don't want to see it almost. We're going kind to of go on the other path that looks a bit easier and quicker. And <laughs> mm. <laughs> you know, I'll we'll go for that one. I get quick relief there or I do this and kind of we miss the point of what's going on underneath it, you know?
1: <laughs> that sounds to me mm. too and I think a lot of surfers are guilty of this. Mm. Of I think of surfing when you say that mm. and how many missed opportunities there are for us to be where we are paying full attention in a loving way when it comes to surfing and that mm. The the layers that are heaped upon the surfing culture and experience can really inhibit the magic that is there, the opportunity that is there when we really are there. And it makes me think of just the culture you were born into and I was born into here in Australia in the, you know, a few decades later in the 90s, that's when I was growing into it you were in the 70s growing into it. Mm-hmm. And just the, the framework that was there <laughs> yeah. was like uh, a, a purely escapist framework, it mm-hmm. seemed, that if you had shit going on in your home, you went to the beach, go surfing, mm-hmm. that'll sort your head out, mate. Just mm-hmm. get out in the water, you know. But it wasn't really sorting it out. Mm-hmm. It, it would help you cope, but it wasn't really uh, facing it. It was mm-hmm quite an escape. And then you think about the troubling times of puberty and teenage years and the whole puberty blues sort of era. And you think about then a coping mechanism for the world was just getting shit faced or super duper stoned and therefore having time out of mind, escaping again and the language or lack of was indicative too of that period. So that was like a, a thing that we were growing out of as young men and that's pretty toxic space. And I think of what you're just talking about and where you were based in Sydney as a young fella and so we know all of that. Were there any shining lights for you in that period of time as a young man Growing into the surfing culture, were there people that you saw who shine a light in a way that was contradictory to all of those norms? Yeah, definitely.
3: In the earlier days, like Derek Hind. Yeah. You know, Derek was yeah. really Derek was quite a strong influence. He was pretty like he was hyper competitive. Yeah. Like, I'll get dragged into competition. I don't think I'm twenty four seven competitive guy. Mm. My brother is, however. <laughs> And uh, he's very competitive. So I had to compete. I had to deal with my brother who's also an intellect. I had to kind of deal with this. Mm. quite a my sister was very smart. My dad was really intellectual. I was like sitting on the end of the table, you know. And those they were all shining lights, but I was like getting a voice in there was tricky. Yeah. But I observation wise I've become a very much a, a shy observer. Mm. Uh, in my earlier years and watching and watching the talent in the town and Derek wasn't one of those ones that went the way that a lot of the crew did. There was a crew that we used to call the Grotts at Newport and they were just like, you know, the Grotts, they, they kind of like went that way mm. you know? and, and it, we just didn't make any sense to be sort of nodding off in the middle of the street and, yeah, you know, throwing up and um, doing all that sort of stuff that was brought about by heroin, particularly at that mm. period in the 70s was rife around our mm. area. But it kind of had a weird sort of attraction to the ones that rode motorbikes and did wheelies along the car park, like the whole way. I used to go, yeah, you know, because <laughs> I had that in me, you know. Like, mm. But I was like, <laughs> I go, but how, how come the next minute they're like nodding up? You know, like I, yeah. couldn't, I didn't, and now good surfers, and, but then they stopped surfing. So I'm going, well, that's not the way to go. Mm. You know, I knew that one of them, particularly, was a really good surfer. I ended up dying in a bike accident, and and no long become quadriplegic. So I thought, well, maybe bikes aren't such a good idea because mm-hmm. they just yeah. Talking about like role models, and you know, I used to, you know, Michael Peterson was our kind of man. Like he was a god to us. Whatever my MP was doing, we were doing. And so he used to come and stay. The owner of the local surf shop. Charlie Ryan, Ocean Shore Ocean Shore Surf Shop sort of opened up when I was like eleven on the corner of back street at Newport and I couldn't believe it. We just turned out to be the hang spot. And when the Coca-Cola 2SM surfer belt was on, MP had come and stayed with him. And oh my god, it was on. <laughs> you know? Like mm. yeah. it was like on. And I was just go, Oh, really? Is this what you do? <laughs> like I just yeah. Yeah. Uh, wow. Like yeah. sort of witnessed quite a bit of stuff. Then as a twelve year old. Wow, 13-year-old, like, stuff that you kind of go, wow, Mm. because that's kind of really. And then you, yeah, anyway, a lot of stuff which kind of didn't quite sort of fit. Yep. But I was drawn to in that way. Mm.
1: Such a tricky period then Mm. too. And and I I think I came in where there was still very much that nature to things happening. 95, 96, I started being a little travelling grom going to... France and seeing everyone at the Rockford just sideways, you know. Upside down. Yeah. yeah. What's going on? You know what, that Roland. And the crew. Running amok, you know, Mm. and then people just, oh, yeah, go out and surf a heat, you know. Next day. Straight from the Rockford and stuff, and you know, wild times. And it, to me, it felt like there wasn't really any other option if you were of a different nature, pretty ostracized mm. around that time. Mm. And, or, or yeah, like ostracized or sort of shunned as an introvert or, mm. you know, a puff or, yeah, or a hippie or all yeah, those. Yeah. Just It was just like the language is just so indicative. Mm. It was just so black and white and mm. just my way of the highway sort of mm. stuff.
0: And that's so the polarised perspective that our whole culture ended up yeah. being built on. Like, yeah. I feel like we're yeah. still in the hangover of dreaming up an yeah. alternate reality to mm. tense masculinity.
2: Yeah.
3: Yeah. yeah. But it's moving pretty quick now. Though, yeah. Which is so awesome, like. Great, that's, that's where I we learned. wanted
1: to go with you and ask yeah. you about your perspective on Yeah,
3: it? no, I, I find uh, in comparison the openness with which people are taking surfing today from what you can actually sort of, you know, still got the grip of a bit of that what you're talking about, Lauren, for sure, because still it's, cause it's moving at such a pace. People aren't used to having change move mm. at such a pace uh, and actually constantly introducing something new. But what I'm witnessing today brings so much joy to you know on all levels like you can surf anything like you can have all these different styles of approach and dave's talking about a time when if i go at newport my local town if you went out on a, a longboard you're out there. it'd be
0: hard i think for younger surfers to imagine how severe the repercussions mm. were mm. for venturing outside of what was normal yeah, was and right physical ride. it yeah. got
3: physical it didn't make sense to me i was going I didn't even mind what you ride. I was like, uh, "Yeah," and I was going. And it didn't really make a lot of stuff. Didn't make sense to me. In fact, I don't <laughs> mind riding waves together. That that's got me into a lot of trouble <laughs> over the time. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and, and and I thought it actually got a lot of joy out of it. I ended up just you know, Sunset Beach was a great <laughs> go behind wave. By the way, like where you, can, yeah, you can you can s turn around each mm. other and and mm. we use that wave. I use that with Ross Clark Jones particularly. Yeah, a lot of ride together a lot out there, and, and it's that's what it,
0: surfing was before yeah, it was yeah. Californian. It was together, ride
3: what I together. L- <laughs> I love those shots. Those shots when I used to look at the pictorial history of surfing, uh, Hamlet, it's like a it was like a pictorial history of surfing. I used to have, it was like a Bible. Oh. I used to have it beside my bed, I used to just pour over the photo. Fo- Pictures. I never used to read much as a kid. <laughs> Nick was the reader. He'd he read because, you know, as a brother's, you do opposite to what yeah, your brother does. Yeah. I think it's got something to do with nature, <laughs> just pulling things mm. as far apart as possible so they get diversity. Mm. So I'm like doing mm. opposite to what Nick's doing. He's reading heaps of books, and I'm just going, I'm outside of a tree. So yeah. Yep. But when it came to re- looking at books, I was fascinated, but I'd go to the pictures being mm. highly visual and look at those photos with everyone riding the wave and I used to go, <laughs> they're all having fun. Yeah, They're all having fun and that's what I'm, I'm all about, having fun. Yeah. So I always uh, got myself into trouble down the track for going, well, hang on a sec, guys, there's plenty of room here. We can actually break this down. You can break it up. Like let's have a bit of fun on this wave together, and yeah. when you do, it actually oh. is such a good feeling. Yeah, and uh, yeah, you kind of like, whoa! One moment confirmed this to me that we're kind of been on the wrong track, was with competition and all that sort of stuff, because always sort of ground me at some level. <laughs> that Kelly Slater and Cooksilver got together and, and ASP at the time uh, got together and had this event called the Kelly Slater Invitational in off Tavarua in Fiji. And it was for him to, because he was the top dog, he could sort of do anything. He was in that power zone where he could just play with anything. And he going, hey, let's just do a whole bunch of different competition formats uh, and and see what comes up. Mm. And and I'm going, oh, you got to do one with two people away, but, you know. He goes, yeah, oh, we'll yeah. call it the sharing format, shall we? And I go, yeah, call it the sharing format. And then so <laughs> he's. Uh, the first wave, I'll never forget it, was a cloud break, right? We've been surfing and everyone's getting waves at cloud break and they're going to call the contest on and it's a sharing format. There's a few other formats going down, but this one was was really focused on. And I was teamed up with Tom Curran to ride a wave together. Mm. So it's you're teamed up with the person and you ride together on the wave to make a score, right? Tom was really scared of me. I'm wave by the way. <laughs> he's he, you know how he is. He's got a little. I'm gonna wave with Tom. I'm gonna get I'm gonna get a board up the bum And so I gone, I gone, so gone. So he was a bit sheepish of riding away with me. But I remember the, the competition being cleared out, the, the cloud break was about mm. four to six feet. It was nice mm. little bit of cloud break. It wasn't great, but it was plenty of waves. And I don't know who else was in the first heat, but the first wave was ridden as a team by Corey Lopez and Andy Irons. Oh, great. And so I'm like. Great friends. Yeah, too, yeah. And yeah. I'm like, I'm getting dragged down the end of the lineup, and they're trying to call us out of there. Man Kelly actually getting sucked down the end, that little bit of current mm. at the end of the mm-hmm. outbreak. And, and I'll never forget this first wave, they, they, the Hooter went and they were on the first wave together. Like, boom, Andy and Corey, mm. right, goofy and natural, like facing each other just going. Can. Like one's going vertical, the other's doing the bottom turn, they're just going whack, 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 and they're doing floaters and crazy stuff, right? Oh, I'm just like going, oh my, it's God, happening. Oh, <laughs> it's happening. This is the best thing ever. And then they kick out right near us. And I'm like, I'm like, what just hooting and carrying on, Kelly's hoot? I'm going, yeah, they they can't, they can't hear us. They're just their first thing is to come off the back of the wave, look at each other. And then they start talking about what they're going to do on the next one, like immediately. Yeah. So the dance was, was profound. The duet. And, uh, oh, my God, I was like, this is the best thing ever. It hasn't happened since. I'm so like, <gasps> I've gone, this is the stuff. That is
1: such a great and, idea.
3: And later on the track they had like all these C-grade, B-grade, what I know, celebrities and all that stuff there and they're doing other celebrity stuff and surfing with this people and that people and putting all together as a package for MTV, which was still going. And then they did a show on MTV with it, the Kelly Slater invitation, it was a bit of a deal and then then they got the viewers' feedback on it, right, on what was going on in the surfing. The number one thing, the number one thing that they loved was the share format? Mm. It hasn't been heard since.
0: I think you should package it for the Olympics. Mm. I think double surfing it? should doubles. be doubles.
3: Imagine, <laughs> a, imagine like you think about Sierra Kerr and like uh, uh, you know Jackson Dorian. Yeah, yeah. You know, yeah. you know that these yep. surfers surfing together on a wave. Wow, mixed doubles stuff like yeah. that. Oh wow, that's really fantastic. Cool. That's that's, yeah, isn't it? <clears throat> so this is open like uh, today. This is, I can feel this is a possibility,
2: mm.
3: whereas yeah. I don't think, you know, the sharing idea that, you know, because of the experience of surfing, you know, it's funny, I always found it funny that we get so pissed off because someone else is on the wave. Mm. You know, like I get this, oh, you know, why is that guy on the inside? I Man, I used to get that. Mm. This is, oh, this feeling in my body like I've got to get on the inside and I've got to work this situation and I used to do it really well mm-hmm. and I used to be very assertive and take off as late as, you know, get in the zone and fight it out. Like, you know, this is like weird energy. I get mm-hmm. it. I'd feel mm-hmm. pretty crap
2: mm-hmm.
3: about it, you know, and i get Watch people get violent and around the world, Like I see a wave of it go around the world where I go surfing, mm. and then all of a sudden these little these cultures that had just started surfing had been infected by one element of that, and all of a sudden it becomes a highly protected zone mm. and mm. violent. Mm. Uh, and so I go, wow, this is a this isn't surfing mm. to me, and um, mm. so kind of like missed the point. And so you know you see this wave just sort of go through, someone gets really angry, goes off and just disappears, and someone's left with a whole bunch of violent anger. Mm. And, and it's sort of, yeah, mm. I don't know, sort of taking us off on a funny angle here, but it's missing the point of the the love that's sort of what is is there. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Well, mm. you would know you're the king of this world, you know, <laughs> king of surfing mm. world, being, you know, two-time mm. world champ. I was so curious to ask you. Yeah. For you, was reaching the pinnacle of your surfing career? Did it make you feel satiated, or did it make you hungry for more?
3: Mm, um,
0: was it satisfying?
3: Yeah, it was I'd go to the the set. It was satisfying for a little while. Like it gave me that kind of posture in myself. Like, well, I've done a lot of work, and it's kind of worked. That sort of is very satisfying, mm. and also it helped me really get good at what I was doing. Really helped me get a mar- you know some mastery going you know I say that like loosely but it's like it gave me a lot of that gave me joy and then i'd have to go back to square one like and go okay mm-hmm. another year and I was, I was i was motivated to get two in a row because mr had just gone four i've gone oh my god i'm nothing if i get just one i better pull my <laughs> act pull my yeah. stocks up on this <laughs> one and Kind of recreate things a bit, and that was a big year of kind of learning and recreation. I can't imagine doing it 11 times, Kelly. Like, (laughs) any energy that goes into actually recreating just to get another one back to back, it's Mm. a Mm. lot of energy. And by the time I'd done that, I was actually I got another feeling of posture about confidence. I say posture, it's a posture of confidence, Mm. and it's sort of kind of layered in your system. You can kind of walk around differently. You kind of you mm-hmm. can share your experience, and you've, I felt stronger in myself. Mm, and
2: validated. Validated. Yeah, and I seen, went in. Acknowledged. Yeah,
3: and in my world. And I was just about competition at the time, even though surfing always meant a lot more to me than that. But it was really taking me to, to places. And,
2: yeah.
3: and then the next year, I came in and I won the first two events in the year, and I felt really strong. Mm-hmm. I'd won it in. Japan and a wave pool of all things. <laughs> oh, <I can. laughs> oh my god! If I can win in a one-foot wave pool, <laughs> yeah, I, I can. Yeah. I can do okay here. You know, which uh, was probably
1: just after. If it was one of the first events, it would have pipe would have been one of the last events you would have been in. Mm. So that's pretty full spectrum there. Mm. Wave pool to
3: <laughs> yeah. It was actually the the tour ended actually back then at the end of at bells. So it oh, finished. Wow. Yeah. Oh, or wow. Or Bells or the, the event in Sydney, which would be the... Coco's. Oh, wow, yeah. And so that back then, so it sort of mm. overlap. So Hawaii was just a, a segment mm. of the a, a, mm. um, part of the tour pre mm. the end, a yep. bit of a gap before the end. Mm. But, gotcha. But um, then the first events in the tour was Japan and then they threw this random wave pool in their Allentown, Pennsylvania. Oh, so That's we're, tragic wow. We there. We're My family
0: is from there.
3: Yeah. we were driving around Pennsylvania. It was so wacko. I was it like, was what are you doing here. in Pennsylvania? You know, like, it's like really out there. And I was like, we were surfing a wave pool, this crowd watching us surfing, and they didn't know what they were looking at. They were just eating ice cream and watching, you know, off the side of the pool. And probably lots of those people had never, never been seen. in the ocean before. Yeah. So they were. Happy to have something moving around in the water the way the waves were. And you could see people when they ran the sort of like ocean waves, they replicated the Jersey Shore. So the Jersey Shore has those (laughs) onshore like three-second period. It was a three-second period and we get 11 waves. No, we get 15 waves shot out at us. And I found out through studying it because I was so determined to win, on the 11th wave, (laughs) that was the wave that actually had the most power because you get a surge of Coming back at it. And oh, but it's up a, a risk, though.
0: What if you miss that eleventh?
3: Yeah, you don't yeah, you want to miss that eleventh wave. Oh, that is hilarious. And, yeah, and, and but Derek Ho was in the final with me. Wow. And, oh, and Derek, Derek Ho, can you imagine? And so, like, pipe, you know, yeah. we were like you know, just like the last two people you think are in the final, but we <laughs> we got there together. And he's a nasty competitor. And I'm like, and so, but he didn't know about the eleventh wave. He didn't click onto the eleventh yeah, wave. Wow. Mm-hmm. But uh, but that was. You know, I came off the back of those two winds and then I came back home to train and I had a syn where, you know about that, mm-hmm. where the two, tib and fib, meet the ankle. There's a ligament that wraps around the bottom of the ankle, got really thick and strong, I tore that mm. down the middle and they didn't know much about that back then. Felt like I broke my leg just doing a floater. Oh, a wow. big old floater and landed in the flat against a little backwash on a shallow sandbar. Mm. She so went crack. I oh, got a bust in the leg. Mm. But it took me out completely for the year. Wow. So there's kind of third one kind of <laughs> Yeah. Um, what age were you then? Twenty three. Oh wow. Twenty so, come on. Twenty uh, twenty actually maybe twenty four. Maybe
0: twenty four. Yeah. What role did substances play in helping you cope with the come down, right? So with mm. any with surfing in general for even lay people. Mm. We know the peaks that we get when we're surfing. It's the highs of life, yeah. so incredible, much less surfing the tallest waves on the planet, mm. winning the world titles, mm. like mm. those highs so difficult to compete with in a mundane terrestrial life. Like what role did <laughs> substances play in easing those curves?
3: Oh, uh, down as as I got more and more kind of pressure, um, to win within myself, not externally, mm. uh, the more I kind of took it on, the more I'd sort of try to recreate my, you know, the winning and then I'd maybe get to it and the work that it took to get to it and then I'd sort of get something and then celebrate, right? That, that sort of backside, uh, when I feel the sensation, oh, because it was just all fun at first, right? Yeah. You know, and someone offered you something and you kind of, oh, that's, Feels good. Especially the stuff that I liked originally, which was cocaine, that's like the ego, ego drug, like triple up your ego, like mm. kaboom. Mm. And uh, and so I, I kind of started to feel that in the kind of later 80s and I was exposed to more as that kind of went on mm. and I kind of started sort of seeking it when life started to get real, real when I came off the back of the tour and I set, sought that kind of high, mm. you know, and then real, you know, Children came and and the the, you know everything came at me thick and fast. So I Mm. kind of felt like, oh, where where do I fit into this? Where does that part of me fit? (laughs) Doesn't fit. I'm like, God, I got to do something to kind of you know to um, insatiate that. Yeah. So and that's substances come in pretty handy, I guess, at that point. Uh, But very just creates yeah strong dysfunction. Mm. Too. So it's a kind of so I'm playing hide and seek with myself in a way. Yeah. Mm. It, it kind of like it's an, an escapist sort of thing that we were mm. talking about before, Dave, mm. is to yeah, kind of uh, and not give myself room to recognize myself. Mm. Yeah. Kind of not being able to, not feeling like I couldn't give myself room or even be authentic at that point. Mm. Mm. And if I tried, it, it'd be just. It was not really heard, maybe, mm. even both in both with myself or, or others around me. I mm.
0: heard you speak about parenting at that time. You ultimately had three daughters. Mm. And I was just thinking about something you said about being there but not there, mm. as a dad playing with the kids but not mm. being there so much. Mm. And I think a lot of us can relate to that, you know, with mm. phones, with mm. jobs, <laughs> with being distracted all yeah. the time. It's a, it's, I think it's a common experience mm. in parenthood now and the pressures that we all feel. Yeah. But I was just curious about how that was for you, juggling parenthood while managing addiction mm. and being on ice while you're, like, looking after babies. Like, yeah. what does that look like? Yeah. That's,
3: that's complex. That's super uncomfortable. Yeah. It's super uncomfortable. It's like there's no – it's hard for me to describe in words other than saying it's very uncomfortable mm. and it's and it loads up with other emotional deficits really, I call them like mm. shame, guilt and stuff like that, which loads up on the system. But there was times where it actually helped you mm. know, because I needed the energy and it worked for a little while. The thing is with any kind of drug or anything like that where you're scratching the itch, it works for a little while and then you kind of need more mm. and then the whole cycle of it has to send you into that spot to yeah. sort of meet that thing that you really need to meet,
2: yeah.
3: And uh, I think, yeah, with the first two, Grace and Jenna, they're like twenty nine and thirty one now. Mm. They're pretty amazing, amazing girls,
2: mm.
3: women. <laughs> they're <laughs> proper, <laughs> and uh, it, it was a wild time, and we're having a good time, really. But I wasn't as a, as that pro surfer guy still in my head still sort of feeling who I am out in the world, having not feeling like obligated to be this or that, mm. that I kind of lost my authenticity and the idea of sort of disappearing and escaping was was very alluring. So being with someone, even if I didn't have drugs, was, um, was still tricky no matter what. So when it became a daily thing, like it was more like after we had our third child, Grace. That was back in around about two thousand and two. And that was really like having a baseball bat over the head, like boom, like wake up kind of thing. Mm. <laughs> and she was like that. Dad, dad. <laughs> like, bam. So uh, it was like that. Mm. So she was she was loud and tough. <laughs> but another gift, an incredible gift, you know, like she um it did look like a whole pile of shit at the time. <laughs> <laughs> to be honest, but the gift was right in there. Mm. You know, kind of mm. there was the gift was in there, mm. and she, uh, her energy kind of pulled me out of the out of that kind of well, forced me in mm. to look at it. Mm. Yeah, mm. and um,
0: they're such incredible mirrors if we let uh, them be, aren't they? Aren't they? Our children.
3: Yeah, she's an amazing girl. Like she's she's a dancer. Yeah, she okay. does the ballet. She's like she, you know probably carrying out a lot of the stuff that comes with the territory. You know, she's really in her own very soft and very graceful way because at first she didn't appear graceful. I'm going, oh, I call this girl Grace. And, and I, <laughs> <laughs> she's not nice. She's whacking you over the head yeah. with a bat. <laughs> <laughs> but the Grace came and she's very uh, much that way and she's working really hard right now as we speak, with the Australian Ballet, you know, putting on endless shows of Swan Lake through to the, Melbourne at the moment, going into Sydney Opera House at the uh, the end of the month of, of November and into December. So mm. we'll get to see her. After. Wow. I can't wait till she comes out the other side of it wow. because I know that she's yeah. working so hard. The
0: amount of discipline that yeah. goes into maintaining yeah. your and body. The
3: body. Yeah. She knows so much already. Her knowledge about how to heal. Mm. how to work with herself Mm. and how she moves in the world it blows me out that's fantastic I think about it a lot at this moment because it's a tricky time Mm. she's got to work hard
0: please stay tuned while we take a quick break to acknowledge the folks who help make our podcast possible
3: if the first 50 years were an
2: experiment
3: to prove that a business could be
2: responsible and successful turns out it's not just possible, it's profitable. So
3: what's next?
1: What's next is simple. It's human power and it's finding the joy in doing difficult things.
3: What's next is turning capitalism on its head and putting all our money where our mouth is. What's
0: next is unstoppable Thanks to Patagonia for their continued support this season and for prioritizing purpose over profit to protect our wondrous planet, our only home. Sanook has been advocating for a more playful and inclusive surfing culture for more than two decades while crafting some of the comfiest footwear around. Thanks for your support, Sinook, and for encouraging water people around the globe to protect their happy places. Learn more about Sinook's partnership with the Surfrider Foundation at sanuk.com.
1: I'm super grateful that you have the courage to share honestly your stories Tommy and that it Mm. uh, in the way that you were for me really helpful by being yourself when I was a grom and just seeing the nature of how you were navigating the surfing world then was really helpful for me I feel like people listening to this now would also feel that there is a lot to glean from your experiences and and to feel that they're not alone and that their struggles or their real challenges with being in the world and coping it feels good to know you're not alone so yeah. thanks for sharing that yeah. um, oh, my pleasure it's really useful yeah. and I, I really love that we can have our conversations Lauren with people and have that in mind about being useful in the world and having mm. uh, a skill sharing kind of feeling to these conversa- yeah. conversations is really wonderful and that so that brings me to something that's been on my mind the last few days that was just reiterated by Simon Jones who Shapes, morning of the earth, surfboards yeah. here in the area. Lovely Simon, yeah. and I told him we were going to sit down and have a chat with you. And I was like, "What do you? What would you ask Tommy?" He's like, "Oh, ask him about his shoulders and injuries and how he deals with that." Because Simon's in a shaper of many years, he's got the shaper's shoulder that they all get, mm. and his wings are pretty clipped at the moment, and and all of that. And I started to think about the list of injuries that you have gone through (laughs) and that just yesterday when we spoke you said that you'd literally surfed your ass off (laughs) because you've been surfing so much and you tore whatever it is that you tear in your bum (laughs) to surf your ass off. (laughs) And I just thought off the top of your head can you rattle off like not the scenarios but just what the injuries, what injuries you have gone through and then we can dive into a bit of how.
3: You cope with that. Yeah. I went through a lot of uh, injury in my teens, mm. just the way my approach was, and uh, I destroyed my knee when I was um, 16, mm. surfing a big wave. Um, we used to go and surf this wave called, we call it Pissing Point, you know, mate,
2: Pissing
3: <laughs> Point. And uh, we used to convoy from Newport, which was getting too much swell, and we go around a place called Minor Point. Yeah. Uh, Minor Point right-handed, it's a ledgy thing and we, we thought that we'd discovered it. So there was like we'd just be on the convoy having egg fights on the freeway and all that sort of stuff. Can't do that stuff. Now. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, we, we pull up this one day and it's ledging and it's crazy and we just I had this little sort of uh, hair curl short arm vest with no zip on it and a pair of tight <laughs> tight quickie boardies yep. and, and paddled out and um, we used to just charge it. Just send it. Just go, yeah. Just, you know, because you got that mass, that testosterone group of boys just going, going, who's going to go deeper and harder? Mm. So and I was like, yeah, I'm going to go on, go on. Yeah, I felt it that day. Anyway, I got this one wave, I was getting a bit low tide, and I dropped into it and I went into the backside and and I looked and it went triple suck and just draining off this really shallow reef. And I was like, there was not a barrel, it wasn't even a wave. I was going, well, I can't. I can't pull in, so I'm gonna have to straighten out. So I went to straighten out and I hit that flat sucky bit that comes mm. off the, the shelf and it was quite a broad shelf and I sort of stopped on it and the whole thing just landed on me and my knee just popped out and, and tore my wetsuit off and all that sort of stuff. Ended up in the middle of the rocks and my knee was just flopping around. I like, go, Oh my god. Mm. So I ended up tearing everything up on the knee. And I so that was that was my first real serious injury that lasted with me all my life. Mm-hmm. And so, and to the point where now I've got a replacement knee, thankfully, for such great surgery that I don't have that horrible feeling of arthritis that comes along with early injury to the knee like that. Mm. But mm. <laughs> I never I didn't get surgery for like four years and I basically surfed my first few winters in Hawaii with no cruciate ligament and very, very loose medial ligament. And when that happens, it just, everything inside the knee gets churned up and it was falling out of place and I'd just put it back in and I'd just go, I was getting all kinds of alternative treatment, you know, getting back when, what are you getting, Neil? What's this acupuncture stuff? What are you doing? You know, like, this <laughs> guy's going everywhere to do anything. I yeah. know, but I, every surgeon would just look at me, oh, i Remember this one, first one I saw, he had a bow tie <laughs> and he looked at me across the desk this big and he didn't even inspect the knee, just looked at me because of the long, long haired surfy guy. I think now i look mm. back at it and I go, he just wrote me off mm. and just gave me a script and got the um, crutches measured for me. He said, just keep it wrapped, Sonny, you know, and you'll be okay in six weeks. Well, I didn't have any cruciate ligaments. You mm. know, You just thought, oh, only rugby, only rugby players hurt their knees. You know, oh, yeah. that's a, mm. a And once I realised that, I didn't really trust a bow tie since. But <laughs> um, but uh, that was one injury. I had a board in the stomach. of another friend It ruptured my stomach. I had to go into for surgery and. I was 18 and uh, that one was my friend's board literally hit me in the stomach, nose first, and back then they were oh, kind of yeah. heavy, yeah. heavily glassed single fins and in, and we had a big surf drought and I'd just been on six weeks' trip to Japan competing and I got home and gone, there's waves and and I had a bunch of lunch, going out for a real long surf session and I was out there for a little while and got a board in the stomach and it pushed my stomach against the spine and tore it and then boom. Wow. I ended up somehow make, uh, like kind of surfing a wave in going, I'm feeling really weird. <laughs> like, But I feel winded still and I don't feel weird. I was feeling weird. Maybe I'll be okay if I sit in the car for a bit in the car park and i just sit there in my wetsuit and I'll be okay in a little bit. I'll go back out. And took my wetsuit off, sat in the car with my clothes on, started getting Burning sensations in the abdomen, they ended up going home, lying down my bed. There's this fire coming out of my belly. I couldn't get in this position that it was comfortable. I'm going, Oh my God, my brother and my good friend, best friend who actually happened with, he's a little bit like Ross Clark Jones, really good friend, but dangerous, right? So, <laughs> and so I'm like, <laughs> They come in and they just go, Oh my God, because I'm like looking whiten me mm. and I'm sweating and carrying on. They just grab me and take me to the hospital as mm. fast as they can. And so lucky that, well, the interns didn't know what to do with me and they couldn't give me any painkillers. I'm going, and they gave me these x-rays and I'm like standing there with this gown on and I'm like sweating. I never seen anything like it. I'm going, what the hell is happening? Because I had to stand up and do this tummy x-ray. And I'm sweating and am going, what the hell is going on? And Though luckily it was a Saturday afternoon, it was around about sort of three PM, and and it was kind of wintertime, and the Royal Gastric Surgeon, Dr. Greenwell, was on holiday in Bayview, and he was on call like for surgery, so he was on, got called up, and the next minute he, he on by then I've got some pethidine in me, and and, and I'm looking up, and he turns up, and he looks straight, I never you and he looks at the X-rays, goes surgery five minutes, like boom. Wow. The next minute I'm in surgery and they do that thing where they take all your stomach and oh everything, my goodness. Out, everything outside the body and search through it, find it, sew it up, put it all back in, like that. How did
0: you even ever wow. surf again? Yeah. Like yeah. already, we're yeah. to 18 and yeah. I'm like, yeah.
3: 18, who keeps holy surfing molly. after that? Well, that's <laughs> it. Yeah, that's just a couple. It goes on a bit but there's a lot of a litany of, um, of injury and sort of, Supposed setbacks, but the knee taught me how to work out. The knee was a very big teacher for me throughout my life. Mm. Mm-hmm. It was a huge teacher. Mm. Mm. Which, you know, makes me mo- emotional a bit because it, it sort of showed me how to work with adversity mm. and mm. sort of move, move with it and actually sort of sit back, <laughs> which is a hard thing for me. But... um as you can see, injury needed to happen. Mm. Yeah.
1: Makes me think of the great line that smooth seas never made a skillful sailor.
3: Ah, yes.
1: You know, and we think about those mm. times where all of us, especially those of us who love that vibrant edge in surfing of risk yeah. and reward and deep tube riding, mm. bigger waves, mm. all of that, we inevitably get injured and we inevitably are laying down staring at the trees above us or the roof above Mm. us and reflecting a lot yeah and that's such fertile ground for growth and I know I heard it in Simon's voice today when he wanted to know how you deal with injury and how you've done that because we all know you've had plenty of Mm. adventures and plenty of injuries Mm. in Hawaii and Indo and Australia just all over and so what have you learned then when you think of this and how to deal with
3: that kind of challenge?
0: And what are the strategies for getting you through?
3: Listening to the body. You know, I still tend to drift off course today. It's, it's always a constant a constant sort of waking back up to what the body's saying because mm. I know you've read that bookie, book, um, The Body Keeps the Score, but <laughs> it's like it's, it's the goal because it's, it's actually already telling us what to do. So getting a language around the body too, you know, for, Mm. you know, getting some, you know, know, my beautiful partner Mary, she current partner, she, she actually got me to change my language around my knee prior to total knee replacement because the way I kind of discarded my knee as something that's not part of me and I had a whole lot of inflammation in it and I was like, she goes, you're speaking to your knee and, in a really bad way, Tom. You have to change that, and I'll come up, you know, <laughs> <laughs> I go off and do my things. Yeah, just, see, you know. Yeah. So she actually helped me sort of change. Again, it, that was just another like of many, many, many times where I've had to kind of learn to listen, learn to change my language. Mm, what, around, what did it
0: sound like? Oh, that's my bad knee. That's yeah. my
2: shit. yeah. It yeah. sounded
3: like this. Oh, it's God. It's not even not even a knee. You say that to your knee, it's not even a knee. Well, it's not going to be a knee. Mm. It's simply that's it, and it's very, very straightforward and direct. It's mm. actually direct feedback. Mm. So there's no, there's not even a little gap. It's not going to give you any gaps. But once I started shifting the way I kind of viewed and the way I, the language around it, um, information started to go down. Actually, I started eating better uh, around. I started taking...
0: What did that mean for you? What did better mean? Uh,
3: just cleaner food, you know, cleaning the diet up further. Like mm. it always sort of take measures around that and uh, that actually give your own particular, because everyone's quite different, but getting closer to that, which might helps you feel better. Mm. Getting those subtle feelings, not the kind of big bold ones, mm. the subtle ones that kind of real, the real messages are lying mm. and, and actually, yeah, just bringing more love to the party mm. in the body, yeah, mm. and letting it sing a bit better to tune. Whereas the, I think, Simon with his shoulders, he's been sort of doing what I do, is sort of going to the kind of ignorant mode because I, you love he loves shaping and designing. He's so passionate and, and unless he starts to sort of change a little bit the way he's doing, just even just subtly changing or looking and viewing the way he does things so he can actually build longevity into him that he can actually still make, you know, still engage and still be involved for what he's doing mm. at the level that actually brings the froth, <laughs> which he loves, right? Yeah, yeah, I, can tell. yeah. I can tell from here. Yeah. What he does is extraordinary,
0: yeah. yeah. Mm. Um, I've heard you speak about how sometimes our successes end up being our greatest failures and our failures end up, if we take the time to look at them, showing mm. us our greatest successes. Can you tell me about a moment like that? When a failure showed you mm-hmm. who you are in some way.
3: Uh, well, that that addiction was a very powerful message and yeah. a journey. Like you know, they talk about uh, you know the hero's journey and kind of you go all kind of all those sort of three sixty on things. And and what seems like the worst scenario sort of informs the greater you. So that higher self can really sort of start to sort of flourish. We need we need those. Times groveling around in the dark, and um, they become our greatest, let, you know, teachers. And and you know, the success—it sort of it come, becomes blinding, you know, the blinding success. And um, and it's always funny because success is great. Like in all things, it's nice to succeed at things, you know, even if it's just sort of making a a nice dinner or or you know, just mm. you know, like you guys built, you know. Gardening and building a, a successful permaculture, or mm. whatever you're doing, and and uh, the bees and all that sort of stuff. It's nice to see the bees successful, you know. Mm. But you know, we're just sending it to get some sort of like reach some pinnacle, like I went for, and then you then realise you come off the back of it, and then you got to go for another one, and you, mm. that that that's actually a part of that needs you need to have the bottom to kind of come back. They actually sort of take another view and then maybe go for another journey. I don't know what that might be, mm. but there's, there's, then there's something to really offer and uh, purpose in life, sort of really offer and purpose. And so, like you mentioned uh, a moment ago about, you know, that someone may get something out of our conversation today and the sharing of of a life. You know, thoroughly lived. I think uh, that someone's going through something right now. We're all going through something, and so it's um, yeah. And I think that that yeah, coming and it's sort of happening in other little various ways too. But it's definitely you know, I don't know what's like I said before. I, I don't know what's coming in the next two minutes, but I'm sure something's going to come along. <laughs> mm. yeah. And uh, and to be you know to have to have those experiences which is experience always counts, doesn't it? Mm. It's like a, Mm. you know, I can sort of tell people to believe this or that or, you Mm. know, people always trying to, dogma's a big one, isn't it? Like, Mm. uh, believe this. (laughs) Mm. But um, it's our experience that counts Mm. all the way.
0: Sobriety is a a choice, a day-to-day, a moment-to-moment choice. Mm. What keeps you choosing it?
3: Uh, I like the relationship, you know, the relationship with myself, growth, uh, relationships with others. It's a sort of, sort of, you know, I can be here present with you, having these conversations. There's an opportunity to grow in it and, mm. you know, I'm having dinner with my oldest daughter tonight. You know, she's going through a whole bunch of change and, you know, I can be there for her now. I can actually be there. I can listen now. <laughs> I could never listen while I was not in sobriety. Um, I've got a be- better chance of listening. I wouldn't say I'm not perfect, but I've got a better chance of, of hearing her and, and being a part of her life and her partners. And I can't imagine, like it's a while back now since I stopped using something to kind of change the way I feel on a daily basis. It's like coming up for 17 years, so wow. it's a bit of a stint. Um, and, I, and like I said, I don't know. I mean, there's a lot of people I know that made it to 35 years and mm. dropped off, the, you know, and thought it was a good idea to go and have another journey. And oh, mm. and it's pretty, you know, you just never know when you're going to come back because mm. you, you think, oh, god, I think I'm okay now. <laughs> mm. I think I'm okay. <laughs> yeah, the great, sort of. mm. but I think, yeah, the relationships with myself and others. Is big mm. and it's valuable, so valuable. Sharing love, you know, like allowing that to prevail even against all odds mm. is great, you know. If it was 17 years the other way, it would have been pretty tricky mm. if mm. I'd be still here, yeah.
2: Mm. Mm. Mm.
1: That, Tommy, makes me think of the, the line in some old surf film where uh, Nat Young says it about Hash when they went mm. to Morocco that they mm. saw an inscription on some wall there that a little bit of heath, whatever the word it was they used, a little bit of hash essentially will keep you warm, but a lot will burn you. And I remember Dick Van telling me similar things as a kid on the Goldie, watching people that burnt out heavily on the Goldie in the surfing scene and and Dirk emphasising sort of the middle path Mm. a lot and of healthy mind, healthy body, healthy spirit. And he incorporated a real reverence for Hawaiian culture. Mm. And so he was, when I was a teenager and I had a pretty wild dad and a bit mm. of crazy yeah. stuff happening at that time where Dirk stepped in as a real mentor, he was really trying to get me to go to Hawaii, not in winter,
2: mm.
1: in summer and mm the spaces between all the waves mm. and be with people there and get a feel yeah. for the depth of culture and the depth of water-person relationships. And so that was for the Molokai paddle race. Yeah. And so I did the Molokai with a friend I paddled with when I, I was a grown remember that. You yeah, that, I think it was yeah. 2000. And we ended up winning the stock division, yeah, team stock division, and it was great. The the race is great and everything, but it was sitting around having barbecue, sitting in the back of the you The truck driving yeah. all the way back to the North Shore. Yeah. It was the paddles from Turtle Bay yeah. back to Three Tables with local crew yeah. and it was also the acknowledgement that those people there saw with me being a young upstart grommet who was in Billabong's ads yeah. and all that sort of stuff, making an effort to take an interest yeah. in what they were doing and, and the depth of culture there and, and the thirst for, for learning. And I know you've done the Molokai yeah. and, of course, you're an invitee to the Eddie and have had so much time in Hawaiian waters and with Hawaiian people. And I feel like we have this amazing gift of surfing in our lives and it, it does flow through that main stream of Hawaiian, Polynesian mm. culture. Mm. And I just wondered if you could speak to that at all and how that's played a part in your life, where surfing's been a big part of your life, and specifically that Hawaiian link and anything in there that really
3: rings for you. Well, there's guaranteed that's part of my spiritual home there. Like on an offshore, you know, coming there since I was 16 and went every winter and just kind of. You know, went through all the things that I needed to go through, like to kind of reach where I reached there and in that, in that feeling of challenging myself. Um, like I don't, you know, I never rode the biggest waves, but I really put myself in a lot of crazy situations yeah. in Hawaii. Yeah. And kind of somehow saw my way through it. And uh, and and always had, that's just on that level, but for some reason I always had this sort of link to... The, whole, the Hawaiians were like, because I came in just when it was all haywire, it was all, like, quite violent, mm. um, 1978 in the, you know, this little freckly guy, like, turns up, little mm. Howley kid. It was, like, feeling like I was like definitely, like, you know, get out of here Howley like, mm. that sort of thing. Get out of the break, get out, you know. Like. And so it was a pretty tricky environment. I had to, I stuck close to Simon Anderson, had a lot of respect with the local crew. Because he was quiet and he just did his thing, and he shaped really good boards. <laughs> so they were kind of like
1: like and a good sense of humor. And he had he had that sort
3: of <laughs> like he had that big guy kind of yeah like like thing that didn't show anything because mm. you just want to show who you were like it. And you people, some people, they look at you there at that point and think, what are you looking at? Mm. And like it was kind of it was kind of violent. Mm. Uh and it didn't look like anyone was having much fun in the water Everyone was like stinky and kind of it wasn't that nice mm. but uh that was always the crew that had sort of made Hawaii their home and that weren't actually Hawaiian and the, the local crew and so but funnily enough I ended up making good friends with um, Louis Pereira who was a he used to come and stay at our house in in Newport, and have to deal with us. Mm. <laughs> Newport. Mm. And so he got a dose of us, and then he then I'd go back and hang out with him, and he'd hang out with um, with with Michael Ho and Dane Kilower and I end up st- hanging out with those guys more, and they were so cool to me, and kind of welcomed me in, and and it it kind of went from there. Like, and I never, I did have a confrontation for no apparent reason at. Um, in 979 surfing the left at V-Land. Oh, wow. Some local guy come over and started swinging at me and stuff and I got my board. It was pretty crazy. He was just super frustrated and it was pretty. It was, then Louis was out there and Louie, anyway, kind of fixed, sorted it out and then the guy was my best buddy out, you know, that sort of mm-hmm. thing goes on. Mm-hmm. But apart from that, everything's the warmth that I've felt with um, Hawaii, the people in Hawaii the the kind of welcoming feeling, and then I would go there and I stay. there, just just spend months there at a time. And They go because you spend like a good deal of time, like you, mm. and then you go, and then we go and start doing all that stuff, like the Molokai's. And mm. Like you just said, it was uh, they they saw you, I uh, saw me, kind of giving recognition to their home as home, not something to come and sort of take from, mm. you know, and so. And join in with what was going on, mm. and the, and I thought I saw the Eddie the 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 initiative with the Eddie you know event as a um uh a recognition of a great wh- Hawaiian uh, lifeguard who would passed away trying to save people mm. was a very powerful symbol of being bringing people together, and I thought, wow, this is such a great and it was my sponsor Quicksilver, so it was sort of easy fit for me, but. Mm. Just that ceremony alone each year, turning up for that and just being a part of that ceremony and the relationships with some of the surfers and it was just amazing. It was, Mm. yeah, it was so rich. Mm. Some of the guys that would surf Waimea Bay and once they got them on land and got talking, it was (laughs) was hilarious. Roger Erickson and and all that crew and James Jones and just the characters, you know, and, Mm. uh, you know. Al Chapman and yeah mm. just the originals were pretty pretty amazing mm. just to be around all that crew you know Mike Foo and mm. yeah know. I
1: feel this is a great opportunity for us to continue it on um, but I really do feel ha- how important it is for any healthy culture to essentially sit around the fire and listen to stories from those who mm. have have experienced place mm. experienced country and mm. people before us and i know for us that's that was one of the original reasons for us wanting to record conversations like this because we've had the good fortune to travel and sit with people like yourself Mm. and just hear the best stories (laughs) that are wildly entertaining but also Mm. deeply useful Mm. you know and that we're fit Mm. and we're wild healthy people Mm. and that's great for us but it doesn't mean much if we're not putting that to use in the world, yeah. you know? Like yeah. it doesn't mean much if it's just for our own self-satisfaction. Yeah. And, and so I really love that about some of those characters in previous generations, just people above us in the surfing mm-hmm. timeline and... Yeah, it's just a real privilege for us to be able to yeah. sit down and, and converse this way, and hope that there's a lot of people who listen that are in their twenties, thirties, yeah. younger, who would feel that they're growing into a culture that has some depth, that is an actual culture, mm-hmm. and it's a global earthling culture, and we have so many relational ties in all directions.
3: It crosses yeah. crosses cultural boundaries, like mm-hmm. at, at a um, like you go to Japan, you go to you know South America, you now you go to places like norway <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah <laughs> and it's up there and the there's actually surfing history up there mm. Mm. and think about that it's mm. um and there gosh they it, yeah just the places where we can actually be with people can't speak the language but surfing crosses it mm. it's just beautiful
2: yeah
3: it's one of
1: the better aspects of what surfing mm. can be mm. and one of those things that we were talking about earlier where it's one of those parts that we could miss if we have the blinkers on yeah. and we just going to our local every day yeah. to get that one way that yeah. you, you deserve because yeah. you're yeah. here the longest or whatever. These are the things that are wonderful about surfing and, and that seems so necessary at this point in a splintering, divided, sort of tech-obsessed, yeah. square-brained world yeah. that's, very dominant right now, Mm. the idea of walking away from that and to that space between ocean and earth and being in that realm with other humans and feeling a connectivity to country but to each other Mm. is wonderful Mm. as a way of being in the world uh, as opposed to that very divisive world view or divisive Mm. kind of inheritance we can get, you know, in the city on the streets, on yeah. our phones, and the computers, and yeah, I don't
3: know where I'm going with that, but I just I like the, that yeah, you're idea the of nail it. on the head, that's for sure. <laughs> like, yeah.
0: Do you think about being useful as you're aging? As we're all aging, you you know, we're the pinnacle of this surfing world, and known as such a great power surfer and you've spoken about mm. how much confidence you've found in being physically strong being mm. powerful how are you rippling that outward now and making it useful
3: well at the moment because i surfed my butt off <laughs> i'm feeling pretty kind of it's it's definitely put me in a back in my seat so okay, i'm taking stock of that and i had a lot of resistance to that and that created a lot of like a, a lot of a lot of suffering really so I've sort of just come out of the back of that because mm. I thought I'd be ready to sort of exert myself, but I'm not. Mm. So that's just you know, on the surface, but it sort of runs down to the depth too. And um, but I see um, another yeah, there's another another chance to actually, you know, kind of actually feel like I'm going back to square one a little bit mm. uh, with my whole interaction with the ocean. I went mm-hmm. mat riding before coming here and mm-hmm. mat ridings like Dave knows pretty humbling. It's
0: like can't help but laugh at yeah, yourself. Yeah, one, yeah. Yeah, yeah,
3: yeah, yeah. Just don't take this one too seriously. Yeah. Like
2: yeah.
3: <laughs> and and literally it's like a rugby match, you know, like playing all the all blacks <laughs> on a two foot wave. Like uh yeah. if it's coming out in you know, you've got to hold onto your mat. But and actually being <clears throat> just the act of doing it, uh it's you can't force yourself on to the craft, it has to be light and it has to be mm. kind of uh, with finesse, mm. a lot of finesse. Not a, but it's all about this kind of like movement. You know, this <laughs> buoyant <out laughs> thing that's <laughs> pushing around, and your body's getting shoved in these weird angles, and it's quite a workout.
2: Mm. It's like, yeah,
3: and, uh, and I and I kind of and, and that's where I'm at at <laughs> the moment. So I'm sort of being put back into that seat. Yeah, and where I'm kind of back into, oh, got can I actually surf again? I try to ride a wave. Yeah, I teach, I, I coach kids surfing at home. Mm. I got this, call it. They actually call it Tom's Groms. I I didn't call it Tom's, but they call it Tom's Groms. <laughs> That's great. <laughs> and the kids are a bunch of, they're all boys can't there's a couple of daughters that are going to come through. I'm really looking forward for them to come through. And it's just grown organically. It sort of started happening in July of 2020 when it was all locked down. They couldn't do any sports. And one of the parents just reached out Do you, give surf lessons. I go, not, but I'll give it a go. Mm. You know? <laughs> Let's give it a go. So uh, And so it's, it's kind of grew from there. So I stood up with them. They 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 actually had a funny one. They 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 blame me for getting the surgery done for the flat spell. <laughs> you know the flat spell. <laughs> yeah, we had a real bit yeah, of shocker. Yeah, the Just right when I had my surgery, <laughs> my flat, they're going, You're the, you there is. You got to get surfing again. You know, like has got to be waves are going to come back yeah. when you." Let's say it's just that superstitious stuff, but it's pretty funny. They mm-hmm. come up with that, mm. but uh, I stood up. For the first time last week, three months, and I'm just sort of oohish. Mm-hmm. I'm oh. going straight again. Is and that you your longest wave. Is that your
0: longest stretch out of the water?
3: No, I've had lots of time. I had yeah. knee replacement. Yeah.
0: How long 2017.
3: That's that was about about five months I had out. Yeah. And then I was back for about two months and then I had to get a full reconstruction done on my shoulder oh. from a snowboard. I went out in the snowboard boys go snowboard. Well I love when when my oldest daughter did a lot of ballet, mm. she'd go off and do all this stuff with the ballet and I'd grab my second daughter and I'll, she'd go off with the mum, do the ballet, and I'd grab my second daughter and we'd go snowboarding or go mm. and hit the snow. Okay. And so she goes, Dad, didn't go snowboarding with your new knee. I go, yeah, I know, the snow's pumping, let's go. <laughs> so we went down together. And I lasted two days. I ended up going down my shoulder oh, yeah. my shoulder. Yeah. And that was new to your shoulder. Mm. It just revealed a, a crap shoulder so I had to get. That reconstructed, and that was that was pretty much nine months out. So mm-hmm. I went to sort of a period there, 18. and um, yeah, it was an interesting time being out of the water that time. Mm-hmm. And it was actually a good length, so it was, I was kind of fully surrendered. Yeah, in that period, the that three month thing. It's sort
1: of it's it's a bit doable. Yeah, du- you, you can
3: kind of. I felt like I can. and yep. then I'm like on my back, on my back. So yeah, uh, standing up on a two-foot wave last week about half a dozen times and just going straight.
1: Mm. And Tommy, you were mentioning meditation being a big part of your life right now mm. and also sharing that with people. Would you like to speak to that at all?
3: Yeah, yeah. So for me, when I came into recovery, I found I found there's a bunch of different sort of tools they kind of suggest uh, in the programs of recovery. The 12-step program gives us, uh, I call it a program, but it's really a sort of a... A, a way of sort of bringing ourselves to ourselves and and others and and so on, and and into and into the fellowship of sort of recovery kind of helps us sort of move into greater growth. Mm-hmm. And uh, but one of the suggestions in it, the tool, was meditation, and and I thought my head was so crazy at the time. I thought, oh, maybe I can stop this by doing meditation. <laughs> <laughs> How wrong I was, but. Uh, it sort of put me in the spot where I'll never forget. One of the first guy, oh, the the teacher, he he wasn't a teacher as such. He was just helping me, but it was a teacher. Mm. He wasn't sitting me down and doing the process with me or anything. He was just going, "Oh look, Tom, this is going to happen if you do this." And one of the things I'll never forget, he said, "He said, you know how he goes, Tom, you know how you wake up in the morning, you start thinking, and you and you just all of a sudden you're doing this thing you thought about, and you're doing it, and you don't realize you're." there's no gap between it you're just doing it you think and you do it mm. and so the, the the gap between the thought and action is so is nil and so you could be doing anything in any time and it's very hard to kind of you know know what you're going to be doing you could be doing anything mm. right and so he said if you keep doing this tom and you keep this regularly do this daily you'll start to create the gap between the first thought and your action and that's where we start to Transform. We start to renew ourselves in that gap, and I've gone okay. Now I get it. Mm. So this is the practice: you sit down and you put yourself aside. And well, at that time it was put yourself aside and let God in. And so I kind of was getting a concept of high power, and I was going to figure all that sort of stuff out because that's what was needed for me to kind of get a get out of myself. Mm. You know, because such a self centered journey, the addiction. Uh, Mm. journey it's highly self-centred but that's that gap started appearing and then uh, things started to change and now it was the last thing I thought was going to actually help me really other than stop me thinking (laughs) (laughs) you know from the vet get-go that was the inquiry I thought well I better start is that going to help me stop thinking so uh, and the mind was super busy I was pretty coming off some very strong stimulants so, And that takes a while for the nervous system to come to mm. and it's not a, an easy task to sort of sit with all those uncomfortable feelings, which we need to do. And meditation itself, guided by someone who actually is experienced, starts to, gets the ball rolling a bit quicker for people. And that's what I've experienced. So it's been my constant companion, the practice, and I just stuck to it. I said, if, if there's something I can do, I'm going to give myself to this and my recovery, my recovery being number one before everything I do, and this is what I'm going to start each day with. So I just gave myself Mm. completely to the practice, which was a simple kind of mindfulness practice practice at first, which is the Tibetan breath-based practice, and then the kind of enrichment sort of started to come as a result. Maybe I think it was probably, you know, three or four months in that I really started to feel that gap, started to appear where I wouldn't react. I'd actually respond and I could actually sit back and see I didn't need to get involved in this thing, you know, mm. that was the drama unfolding in before me, mm. which before I'd be in there trying to stop it or change it or, you know, mm. and now I could sit back and, ah, take a broader view. So I thought, wow, it mean, sitting down, closing your eyes and doing what appears to be nothing actually can help us at such a deep level. Mm. And so this... This practice, I started sort of, you know, going for an enrichment in that area, and over time, when I've asked for guidance through prayer, which I do use prayer, which is a which is just comes comes through me now. and It sounds like a bunch of woo, but it, it, you know, it's an intention coming from the heart, mm. and if it's really genuine, when you genuinely are, are, ask for guidance in in an area, you just watch what happens. Mm. <laughs> Don't ask for specific. I want this. I want a new car. I want this. So, well, actually, be careful what you wish for <laughs> in life. But mm. uh, I think this practice has shown me consistently that it's been um, enriching and connecting me at the level I need to be able to connect with you. Mm. And so um, I started, you know, I was the last thing I'd think I'd be doing is teaching meditation, mm. <laughs> the last thing. I wouldn't and in fact it took taken me a while to get to it and actually allow myself to move Mm. into the space Mm. but I've been teaching for since 2019. Such
0: a beautiful offering. Um, mm. I love that about your Instagram account, how you Mm. bring in overly unsuspecting surfers into that Mm. sort of reflective space.
3: Yeah. It's a great offer, And I love using that platform for something that's not. (laughs) It's like I love it. Every time I... You know, there's a bit of a rebel in me, you know, like mm. there's a bit of that sort of
2: mm.
3: cheeky kind of nah. you know. Yeah. <laughs> that is sort of like flipping Instagram on its head mm. to to go, okay, close your eyes, you're on Instagram, close your eyes. Mm. And so giving yourself a chance to kind of be that, which is breaking the symmetry of that mm. and which is, uh, that's why mm. I kept coming back to it and mm. giving it. And again, I don't know. That's the last thing I'll think of what I'd be doing <laughs> <laughs> and having these interactions with people on that level. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Can
0: you tell us about the Art of Longevity workshop that you did? I don't know why, but that title just really grabbed me. I was like, mm. ask Tom about that. Yeah. I've, like been, I've, been working,
3: yeah I've been working with, um, it's actually a bit of a brainchild of Rodrigo Perez from. Holistic pro health. Well, I came in to, and he kind of invited me in to be involved as the meditation teacher and the sort of surf guide within that idea of having retreats. Mm. We started off with retreats and then we added the workshop. And the workshop's a three hour offering. The retreats where well, we do a retreat in with Christians in Sumba, 10 day retreat, which is full on. That's fantastic. It's like, it's a full immersion in, you know, and you know what the place is like. Mm. It's, mm. Pretty great place for it. It's epic. Yeah, and I can't believe it. Been introduced to that. <laughs> it's mm-hmm. like, and, uh, um, it's a beautiful, um, beautiful experience. And then giving the practices in in these in these um, kind of offerings and in the environment where I've got Rod, who has a lot of. Deep, he's he's he comes from a, a place where I wouldn't have thought. To actually be involved in, like BJJ, you know, like BJJ and all that sort of stuff. Mm. It's an expression physical where you have to actually, you know. And he's learned a lot around actually offering um, help and healing to both surfers and and martial arts Mm. practitioners, and and working on um, healing body movement work, which is kind of like crawling around a lot of. All that sort of stuff and experimenting with the body and flow. Mm. And so we, we, he comes in from his angle, uh, and I come in from my angle from the meditation and breath work side. And that's what we offer in, in, in sort of we get people sort of opening up into that, into that sort of world. Mm. Quite often people are long term practitioners in certain areas and they just need a little sort mm. of boost up. Mm. Um, and others are coming in fresh mm. and, yeah. Um mm. I love I love the involvement in them. It's yeah, it's really lovely. I, I've actually right. done a mm. a retreat with my partner too, which is separate. We did one last year. Uh Mary and I um, and I brought my daughter in uh, cuz she does human design. She does um naturopathy mm. and so she gives readings and naturopathy and she's also her and a partner give um they teach zook i don't know whether you know what zook partner dancing is no. it's a brazilian style of partner dancing it's a quite a big culture you wouldn't even know what's going on but it's a it's a partnered style of dancing it's got kind of a little bit salsery a little bit um tango-y but mm. they they teach it and i had them kind of do surprise sort of <laughs> classes, <it virtually, laughs> <Great>. which awesome, <laughs> you know, just breaks the rigidity of everything, <laughs> and it and kind of goes really well with mindfulness meditation because the way they teach it, they get you doing all sorts of stuff mm. around movement mm. and spatial feeling, movement, rhythm, and space, and mm. then joining together. Mm. So we do. So we have that. And uh, I hope to do another one like that. Mm. That's really cool. But The Art of Longevity is a great one. Gives a bunch of different information too, quite practical uh, application that you can put into your life. Mm. Uh, That's great.
1: That's fantastic. I I really look forward to seeing when you bring the Zook salsa tango partner dancing to a wave (laughs) and do the (laughs) share contest (laughs) idea of Kelly's with that dance. That's it. On a wave. (laughs) Then, yeah. Us up
3: so it's, well. We there gotta we'll get. Be in. That'd be great. Man, you gotta wear. Gotta wear the dress. Oh yeah. You gotta wear the dress and it's <laughs> <dressed> up.
1: <laughs> no, it's such a pleasure, Tom. I know the clock's here, saying man's probably going to grab you in a sec. Yeah, Look, if he's not already here. But I haven't heard the dogs bark, but thank you. I know we could keep prodding you <laughs> for more and more stories <laughs> and more pearls of wisdom. Yeah, it's been a real honor
3: and a privilege. Yeah, David. Um, Thanks, man. Yeah. Lauren, it's really lovely being here with you guys and your beautiful zone. Good vibes.
0: Any last words that you want people to consider as they're maybe driving or doing the laundry and the podcast is about to come to an end? Any Mm. parting
3: words? You mentioned reflection, Mm. the quality of reflective thought. I just offer at this time, I think, to give yourself a chance to create that space for you, just sitting back, allowing yourself a broader view about what's going on for you. Give yourself that opportunity and that gift.
0: Thanks so much for listening with us today. If you like what you heard, please consider sharing an episode with a friend. Our editor this season is the multi-talented Ben Alexander. The podcast soundtrack was composed by Shannon Sol Carroll, with additional tunes by Dave and Ben. We'll be continuing today's conversation on Instagram, where we're at Water People Podcasts, and you can subscribe to our very infrequent newsletter (laughs) to get book recommendations, questions we're pondering, behind-the-scenes glimpses into recording the podcast, and more via our website, waterpeoplepodcasts.com.